welcome to episode one of the new Let's Talk Mix podcast. I'm super excited as your host, as Charlotte. Um, thank you everyone for listening. I have Brandon and Jacob. If you guys want to introduce yourselves, we'll start with Jacob. Hey guys, I'm Jacob. Uh, I'm a life I'm a lifelong Knicks fan, just like you guys. Uh, I grew up in New York. I live in Florida now. Uh, this is going to be awesome. Like, let's get to it. <laughs> Brandon, what's up, guys? Uh, my name's Brandon. Uh, also, lifelong Knicks fan. You know, this is something that you know I've done some different stuff covering other sports, but I'm really excited to really dive deep into the Knicks. And what better place and time to start because. It's been an amazing season. I'm really expecting great things from this team going forward. Well, that was great. Um, you guys already know me. I'm Charlotte. I am the owner of Let's Talk Knicks, and we are restarting this podcast after much debate and lots of interest of why we don't have a podcast. So why not start now as the offseason is coming on? But guys, interesting season for the Knicks so uh, this past season. Playoffs, Jalen Brunson's emergence, Julius Randle. We're going to cover it all, but... Um, Brandon, we'll start with you. What did you think about this season with the Knicks overall? And um, we'll get to playoffs later, but overall, what did you think of this season? You know, I found it very interesting because I, I feel like you could consider it like a tale of two halves in a sense, where you have that first half of the season where, you know, Jalen Brunson, we saw what he brought to the, the team, but it felt like we there was that piece missing to really put the Knicks in that firm playoff spot and really out of that play-in window. You add Josh Hart. You finally start giving Emmanuel Cookley more minutes. You finally start not really not relying on guys like Evan Fournier and Derek Rose in really crucial roles. And you see the team change. The team plays with new energy. The defense is back. A lot of that can be equated to Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson truly setting in. Uh, Julius Randle playing very well in the regular season once again. And then you get to the playoffs. Obviously, the Cleveland series was great. You saw what this team can be at its full potential. But at the same time, the Miami series also showed you that this team still needs to go a bit further. Main thing that comes to mind, we'll probably go into it, shooting. You need more shooting. You can't consistently have guys missing the majority of the three-point shots. You can't have a team that is shooting 30, 25% beyond the arc, especially in the modern NBA. So it was a very encouraging season because I didn't expect them to go this far. But at the same time, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Jacob, what'd you think? Yeah, just to what to add to what Brandon said. I mean, you you look at this team that was ten and thirteen at one point. That there was rumors and speculation that Tibbs was going to be gone. He was telling people close to him that he thought this was the end of the line. He stopped playing Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier simply because his back was against the wall and he absolutely had to. And then you saw this team kind of hover around five hundred, and then they go on this awesome nine game winning streak that was capped by this immaculate win in Boston when Emmanuel quickly had 38 when Brunson didn't even play. And for a second there, you had to think like, Oh my God, what is this team going to be? Like they added Josh Hart at the deadline and they went on this run and through the second half of the season, they were one of the best teams in the NBA. They were a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. Only Denver, you know, could say the same and Denver's in the NBA finals. So this team was a team that let you dream, even though probably there was, you know, a reality to it that, you know, what is this team really going to be, you know, in, in the playoffs? And we saw them kind of get exposed a little bit in the Miami series. Like, let's be honest about it. They, you know, they kind of got exposed a little bit, but this team was a team that let you dream. And as a fan of this team and, you know, before, 
I'm sure we're going to get into all the, the frustrations of Julius Randle. But before that we hear season, when he emerged, I mean, remember what this team was, you know, what this franchise was. And this was a team that for the first time in a long time, even if it was just for a moment, even if it was some remote part of you, let you dream. And you can't ask for anything more than that. They obviously need to add some shooting uh, because when Miami went zone on them in the playoffs, it did, you know, it did legitimate damage. And you can't, you know, zone shouldn't be locking up uh, NBA, NBA offenses, especially when our two best shooters, Quickly and Grimes, are both incredibly streaky. Like, you need kind of that more reliable shooting. Uh, RJ's emergence in the Cleveland series was fantastic, but in the Miami series, especially in game six, I mean, it was it was an ugly performance. But again, we got to see the emergence of a star because Jalen Brunson is a star. And next year and going forward on a descending contract to the idiots that thought that the Knicks overpaid in the summer, you know, to on a, on a descending contract. That is exactly like what you can point to as a Knicks fan and be like this thing. This guy is the reason that I have confidence that they are going to continue to make steps in the right direction. We may have questions about the coach. We may have questions about Julius Randle. We may have questions about R.J. Barrett. We can question everything after, you know, what happened in that Miami series. But we know without a doubt that we do have another guy that is going to keep this team on the right path for, you know, at least his duration as a New York Knick, which is going to be at least the next two because he's got a player option a couple years down the line, but hopefully much longer than that. I agree with both of you guys. Um I actually, it was really refreshing to see a team that got back, you know, to the second round of playoffs since 2013. Ten years of painful seasons of watching. Oh, my God. I remember watching Jared Jack and then we have Alfred Payton. And it's just like, it was so refreshing to see a point guard that as Jalen Brunson, you know, as a descending contract, I want to add that, that, you know, Jalen Brunson is going to be here for the long run. Maybe the Knicks have locked up a point guard, I think, for the next maybe five to six years. That can be debated, but it was I thought it was an amazing season. Yes, ups and downs, that Dallas loss. My God, I remember going crazy on Twitter. Or that Charlotte Hornets loss at the end of the season. Oof, but there's bright spots, there's bumps in the road, but um, I thought it was a pretty successful season. The Cavaliers series, I was pretty confident that, wow, this team didn't actually play. We're going to get into the playoffs, but... Any, what did you guys think of that? Let's start with the Cleveland series. You know, the Knicks are coming in fifth seed, Donovan Mitchell, the whole summer, last summer thinking, Oh, are the Knicks going to get Donovan Mitchell? Oh, they're asking for six first round picks. Oh, they're asking for Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes and Obi Toppin and Danny Ainge basically wants worldwide Wes and Leon's everything, their family, basically everything. But what did you guys think of that Cleveland series? Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, when it comes to, like, looking at this team in the offseason, I try and, like, stay, uh, you know, rational. But, like, in games, I am irrational. I'm a lunatic. I'm emotional. Like, game one, they're, they're playing great. And then all of a sudden, Donovan Mitchell hits a couple of threes in a row. And you're like, oh, you know, oh, shit. And then the Cavs, you know, come back and they take the one-point lead. And then the Knicks win game one. And you're like, oh, my God, they got the win in Cleveland that they needed. And then to see them get blown out in game two, and you're like, Man, like, I don't know, like, m- maybe this Cleveland team is just more talented. Maybe, you know, Garland, of Mer- like, seemed to have that moment in game two. I was kind of waiting for for Evan Mobley to, like, find himself in that series because of, you know, how important he had been to that team. And then games three and four, you know, the, the Knicks won games three and four, and it was like, wow. But even still in the back of my mind, I was like, 
is Cleveland just more talented? Are they going to win game five? And then maybe coming back, you know, to the garden in game six, there's not going to be as much, you know, because they've already been there for, for the postseason. And then who knows what's going to happen. And to close them out in game five was just like one of the great, like, you know, I, I'm 21 years old. So I, you know, I'm not old enough for, for the nineties or anything like that. That was one of the great moments, you know, as a Knicks fan, that that I've you know that I've had maybe the best that that I you know that I've had. Brandon, what did you think of that Cleveland series? You know, it, it's so ironic because of what happened in the Miami series. But going into that series, it's like the age-old question of really what the modern NBA has become: superstars versus depth. And looking at that series, it really for me, I'm like, I like the Knicks because I like the Knicks depth better than Cleveland's depth. Yes, Cleveland has the upper echelon talent. They have the Donovan Mitchell, the Darius Garland, the Evan Mobley. You could argue even, you know, Jared Allen to an extent before that series. Whereas the Knicks, where, yes, Jalen Brunson played like a superstar and is a superstar. Julius Randle had a great year. Their upper end talent didn't really match Cleveland's, but I like their depth better. And that's what it turned out. You know, you got the Quinn and Grimes performances early in the series. You got quickly playing early in the series you got you know Brunson being Brunson but RJ Barrett stepping it up as the series went on you started getting these performances from these different players and then when Cleveland's guys faltered the Knicks were able to turn to a different player at a different point if someone was getting the job done it, it was basically like next man up if someone isn't getting the job done you take them out you put someone else in, they get the job done. And that's what happened in this series. And that's why I think at the end of the day, you know, it got to the point where these games were closely contested, but that depth played a huge role. Donovan Mitchell didn't exactly have a great series after game two. The Knicks, while, you know, Brunson would go th through a shooting spell, you had Mitchell Robinson playing very well. You had R.J. Barrett there to step up. You had the one Julius Randle good playoff game. Well, after, you know, he tweaked the ankle and came back, you know, he had that good game late in the series. So that was the crucial part. And that's why it made the Miami series, if we want to transition that too, so painful because that strength you had in the Cleveland series completely evaporated. And all of a sudden it's, why is Jalen Brunson the only person that can sort basket right now? It was, it was infuriating. And to your point, Jacob, like I, I'm, I consider myself to be a rational person, except when I'm in the moment watching the game. It's like, like how how is, and we can get to defense too. Why are we not closing out on three pointers again? Why is Jalen Brunson the only guy that can score on offense? It's just like, it was so weird to see the complete opposite of everything the Cleveland series happened in the, in the Miami series. I agree wholeheartedly. I think the Knicks got away from. Uh... You know, rebounding was a huge thing in the Cleveland Cavaliers series. Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, you know, Jared Allen saying, oh, the bright lights are too much for me and whatever. That was pretty funny to read. But I think rebounding and then we're going to get we're going to dive into this Miami series because I think there are a lot of ways that the Knicks went wrong. Um, depth, yes. But also, I think the Knicks just the bench did not come up. Just, you know, you got. Kevin Love beating Julius Randle on defense. The defense by Julius Randle in the Miami series was completely unacceptable. I'm sorry, I have to say. Um, just running out to three, we're going to get, I, this Miami series, headache. 
we're gonna dive right in Miami series first thoughts yeah listen and like I tend to think of myself more on the 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 Julius Randle defender side like I'm one of the people screaming like you don't sell this guy for 50 cents on the dollar because you're frustrated with the series but when you're getting beat off the dribble by Kevin Love in game three and your effort is such that it's so obvious to anybody that watches basketball that you only seem to care when the ball is in your hands and you know like like he was talking about his ankle, but there would be spurts where all of a sudden he would go all out for like 90 seconds. And then the, and then the energy level would die. And it was so not what this team was. This team was this gritty effort. Like, like it's a Tibbs team. That's what it's supposed to be. And they got out hustled all series by the Miami heat that basically just showed that they were trying to be the better version of the Knicks. And it, and that's exactly how it played out. And to your guys' point, the bench not showing up was, to me, the most disappointing thing. Like, you would have thought that the the guy who would be so unafraid of the moment, so ready for this, so primed, would be their six-man-of-the-year candidate, Emmanuel Quickly, who every single time they needed him to step up throughout the course of the regular season, the guy was there. He was, like, like name me five, off like, off the top of my head, five bad Emmanuel Quickly games during the regular season. I can't really think of them once they started to hit their run you know, uh, towards the middle of the season and beyond. And then even though he was still productive on the defensive end, defense wasn't their problem in the Miami series. You know, as Miami has shown against, showed against Milwaukee and is showing in this Boston series, they are capable offensively. And the Knicks, you know, were holding them on the defensive end. That wasn't the problem. You know, I, I went to game six in Miami. I saw it in person. That Jalen Brunson's performance was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And if anybody, anybody on the team could have gone with him, anybody could have produced something, the Knicks would have been back home for game seven. And there was nobody there. R.J. Barrett going one for 10. Julius Randle was horrific. Josh Hart, Josh Hart, as much as I love him, you know, he's not a three-point shooter. That's not his game. He wants to get to the basket. He wants to finish at the rim. He's a great offensive uh, rebounder for his position, but he's not a shooter. And the Heat turned him into a shooter basically out of necessity for the Knicks because they had no shooting depth and it just didn't work. And it was so frustrating to see because you're like, we're more talented than, than the Heat. We are. And it was the complete opposite to your guys' point of the Cavs series where they were more talented and we were outgrading them and we were getting all the offensive rebounds, you know, like, and they were complaining about the physicality and the heat series, the Knicks, you know, us Knicks fans, we were complaining about the bam out of bio screens. Like it just seemed like this total role reversal that was so unexpected for this team. You know, when, when we, like I said, we got to dream, like I was thinking Eastern conference finals, we've been good against Boston this year. Like, of course we, of course you went there. Every Knicks fan went there. You're lying if you said you didn't. And it was so frustrating to see them not be able to replicate what they had done previously, not reinvent something, but not able to replicate. I I agree. I think Jalen Brunson, that turnover at the last play, and I'm like, Julius, step to the ball. Brandon, give me some thoughts on this. Julius Randle, anything that happened through this series. We're going to, Julius Randle will be his own topic, of course, because People on Twitter are basically calling for his head right now, as expected. <laughs> uh, but give me some thoughts on this Miami series. So one, one of my best friends, me and him, watched basically this entire series. And we both came to the, the conclusion, and this isn't an indictment on the Heat, because as the Heat have shown, you know, they are, they're not really an eight seed. They have the talent of a team that should have been a higher seed. They underachieved during the regular season. When it comes down to it, the, the way the Knicks played, they've really beat themselves. So – 
In that sense, what do I mean? Well, look at defense, right? Whereas the defense was on point in the Cleveland series, you couldn't go five minutes, let alone a quarter, without seeing a late rotation to a three-point. You couldn't go five minutes without seeing a wide-open Max Strew shot, a wide-open Kevin Love shot, a wide-open Caleb Martin shot. It was like every time you felt like the Knicks had momentum in a lot of these games, all of a sudden you're letting one of these role players whose entire purpose on the court is to shoot three-pointers have wide-open three-point shots. And this was brought up by you guys too. Julius Randle, huge part of that. Slow defensive rotations. He doesn't get to his spot. Now all of a sudden, another guy on defense has to run halfway across the court. All of a sudden, the entire defense falls apart. Entire defense falls apart when one guy, really the centerpiece in a lot of these scenarios, is slow the rotations. I mean, you brought up Randall getting beat to the bucket. I almost threw my phone across the room when I saw Duncan Robinson beat Randall baseline. Like, I, I get it, right? He's struggling with injury. He's battling through it. Duncan Robinson, the, the dude that couldn't even play games for the Heat down the stretch this year, he beat you to the baseline? And you're supposed to be the All-NBA guy? Like, it, it, was, it was those types of things. Then on offense, you know, R.J. Barrett, we're back to the three steps forward, three steps back. Like, all of a sudden, he can't, he can't hit a shot again. And he would have the up and just completely bottom out again. Just that, That's been my biggest thing with Barrett, and we saw it again. He plays so well, but then all of a sudden, the negative aspects of his game come out. And personally, we can get into it later, and we will. I think that's because of lack of shooting on the roster, and he thinks he has to force it. But you got the Randall. Randall all of a sudden going ISO Randall and not looking at anyone else on the court and taking the two-person contested fadeaway jump shots. It doesn't work, especially when you have a guy in Brunson that, let's face it, runs the offense way better. Randall works better as the secondary cog, not the main cog. We've seen this. We saw this in Atlanta in 2021. We saw it again this, this year in the Miami series. Randall does not work as the main cog. And lastly, quickly... That was probably the most disappointing thing for me. And you could even just group the entire bench as a result. The depth, the depth just didn't show up. The shooting didn't show up. Knicks hit half of the shots they missed. The series probably goes seven anyway, because you're going, you're going toe to toe with Miami. You're going toe to toe with their bench. I think it was game four, game five. There was a stat that the Knicks bench got outscored like 40 to eight. Or something just absolutely absurd where, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what team you are. If your bench is giving you 8 or 10 total points or at 12 total points, you're not going to win games. You're not going to win playoff games. That's just not how it works. We also saw that in the West with Phoenix. You need your depth to produce. And when it doesn't produce, you're putting so much, so much on that starting lineup that if anybody in that lineup falters, you're in a bad situation immediately. Yeah, and like just what we were talking about, you know, with the opposite of the Cleveland series, it was the antithesis because in the Cleveland series, their bench was amazing and they were outscoring the Cavs bench by a ton and they were out, they were getting all the offensive rebounds, like all those little things that went so poorly for them in the Miami series went so well for them in the Cleveland series. And that's what the confusing thing is about it. And your point about RJ Barrett is so spot on that like, he, he, you know, he definitely, the 
the greatest strength and the greatest weakness of R.J. Barrett is that at all times, R.J. Barrett believes that he is the, the best player on the basketball court at all times. R.J. Barrett is the Knicks' irrational confidence guy. He does not look at any player in the NBA and think that he is not as good as that guy. And there are times when it produces amazing results, and there are times where you're like, can you just not do that right now? You know, like, it, it, it's both sides of the coin. It is his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. And in game six at the beginning in Miami, if you remember, he was getting to the line. He was producing. It was him and Barrett together. And then the, the last three quarters of that game, the Knicks had a 14-point lead that they built up most of the way through the first quarter. That was because R.J. Barrett continued to attack. He continued to get to the free throw line. He was knocking down all of his free throws. Like, we saw the progression. We saw what we thought we were seeing in the Cleveland series with star J Barrett. And then the last three quarters, it completely disappeared. Now, do you guys think the office, as reports say, that they were not afraid to throw RJ Barrett in trade packages for Donovan Mitchell. Now put yourself in Leon Rose's and the office shoes. Do you, do you look to trade RJ Barrett this offseason? I'll, I'll start with this one. It's predicated on how they attack this offseason because if I'm the Knicks, I'm going after so much shooting this offseason. And essentially, I would call it this is the last chance, quote unquote, for Barrett in the sense of the way I see it. And I, I could be wrong, obviously. I feel like you add some more shooters to this team. You space the floor a little bit more. We get into it. Maybe you trade Randall and upgrade the center position in the sense of you're adding more shooting on the floor. You're not having guys that really can't space and allowing the defense to crowd. And then R.J. Barrett now has the free ability to attack. He's not having to go through two defenders. He's maybe having to go through just one now. He has more room to be creative at the basket. You're giving Barrett every opportunity to utilize his main strengths and really try to become the best player off of that. In addition, you don't make Barrett the number three option necessarily. Maybe he's your four. Maybe you have Brunson and then two other guys that can really take the majority of the shots. You're not putting the onus on Barrett to do everything. Where now his 15, 18 points a game are very vital in that four spot in terms of scoring instead of, oh, we need him to beat 20. So I just feel like, you add more shooting to this roster, you're going to improve Barrett, you're going to improve Brunson, you're going to improve the team overall because there's going to be more room to create and more room to attack. Jacob, do you, let's say a team calls, what are, what are you doing? Uh, I mean, listen, I, as, as I'll say with RJ Barrett and I'll say with Julius Randle and I'll say, you know, there are three simple words that every Nick fan, I feel like, as I've seen on Twitter with all these fake trades, isn't asking themselves. And it's, and do what? You know, everybody wants to trade R.J. Barrett. Everybody wants to trade Julius Randle. Well, and do what? The Knicks are $18.4 million over the cap this year. They have a $12 million, you know, mid-level exception that they could use. Okay, but you're, you know, who's in that range? Maybe like a Seth Curry, you know, as like a shooter, which, you know, he's produced on multiple playoff teams. So that's an interesting name. But like, you know, that I don't think that that's like the the premium, even though he is a great shooter. I don't know if that's really the guy you know, that, that everybody's going to jump up and down for. And in terms of trading RJ Barrett, you know, so that's $23 million. So you're trading him along with what to, to get what maybe an OG Ananobi, somebody like that. And I don't know if that 
particular trade package is worth it if you're the Knicks. You know, the more interesting thing for me is to see like they're definitely going to try and trade Fournier, but that, you know, that's $18 million that they can attach to any kind of trade because they are capped out. So any moves that they're going to have to make are going to have to come via a sign and trade or a trade. So, you know, all of these salaries mean something because you have to match in the NBA. So Evan Fournier's 18 million, RJ Barrett's 23 million are valuable to have. So to just kind of send them away in a trade because you're frustrated, you know, like again, to, to every Nick fan who's, you know, creating fake trades and jersey swapping R.J. Barrett, I simply ask you, they trade R.J. Barrett and do what? I think R.J. Barrett is the scapegoat that people love to put the pressure on because he's such a high draft pick, but Jalen Brunson's not going anywhere. I think we all understand this, and I'm very happy to keep him, keep him happy. He's related to Leon, whatever. I don't care. Keep him here. What do you do with Julius Randle? This office has shown promise and he's family, he's CAA, you know, those connections. He's an all-star. He's an all-NBA selection. Why do you guys think this office is holding on to him? We'll start with Jacob. Um, Listen, I mean, first of all, I would say this office is holding on to him. I do think that there's a bit of an emotional attachment. We talked about the we here season and we have to recognize where this front office and where this franchise was going into that season. They had just drafted OB and everybody was talking about how Julius was going to be gone pretty quickly. He has this kind of miraculous season out of nowhere and they make the playoffs and everybody's getting extensions, right? Leon Rose is totally safe. Tom Thibodeau is coach of the year. He's got the job for a little bit. So, I, you know, to say that there's no emotion when it comes to Julius Randle is an outright lie. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, like, he is an all-NBA player two out of the last three years. He is an all-star two out of the last three years. In the regular season, he's been, you know, fantastic. He's a 25-10-5 guy. He obviously has his playoff issues, but his value right now with how the, you know, ripping his poster down and all that stuff, all of that, perception matters you know when it comes to shipping away a player especially for the new york knicks because everybody knows how their fans feel we you know are the most vocal fan base in sports everybody knows so all of that perception plays into into julius randall's value i think right now julius randall's value is as low as it has probably been you know in a very long time if you're honestly looking to trade julius randall i think this has to be played out until the deadline Play this out. Let him play great in the regular season, as he will. I promise you, he will play great in the regular season. And see what's what at the NBA trade deadline. This is not the right time. The worst time to to plan and make a and make a big splash is during an emotional reaction. The playoffs are still going on. You know, you think that you probably should be there. Let the dust settle a little bit with Julius Randle and see where you are at the deadline. Because unless you're putting him in to a superstar trade, which you know, I don't think Embiid's coming. I, I don't see the Carl Anthony Towns thing. Like, I, I don't know where that, you know, mega superstar trade is going to come for them. There's no point in selling him just to sell him. There's no point in trading Julius Randle just to trade him. Brandon, what do we do with Julius? What are the Knicks going to do with Julius Randle? Do you agree with Jacob or do you have a different aside? So I'm going to say the uh, the two most hated words in sports media from the past two years or a few years. Uh, I'm going to have a nuanced take here. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, 
I think it comes down to really, and I, I agree with Jacob in this regard, it comes down to timing and it comes down to really, you know, what the Knicks perceive Julius Randle as. So in that sense, right, do the Knicks see him as a perennial all-NBA type talent? Do they see him as a guy that can lead a team? Or do they see him as a cog in the machine that this organization is? Do they see him as a contributor? Because depending on how they view Randall as a player, that's going to influence the type of package that he's included in, or if they hold on to him to the trade deadline. For me personally, the guy the guy I want on this team, despite his playoff woes, I feel like Jalen Brown would fit in great with the Knicks. I feel like Jalen Brown is is the guy you send Randall in that package with. Because in that case, now you're giving Ovi Toppin some minutes. Or maybe you sign a stretch four, a stretch five, where now you truly have that shooting that you need in the sense of opening up the floor more. But if I'm not getting a Jalen Brown in return, if I'm not getting that superstar package, I, I'm, I'm not going after Carl Anthony Towns because I feel like there's a lot of similarities to Randall and a lot of, you know, what Towns does. Maybe Towns a little bit better, but that contract is also bigger. You know, I'm not going after a Damian Lillard. That's redundant on this team. You have Brunson. Do you really need a second ball dominant guard that isn't that great at defense? So it, it really comes down to, I personally would like to move off of him. I feel like Randall, in a sense, it's not the fact that I don't like what he brings to the roster. But I feel like changing some things up in the sense of maybe going for a higher ceiling and trying to switch up how the roster is constructed after the past few years, because it's been the similar roster construction. I would try to trade him, but I'm not forcing the issue. If I don't get what I perceive to be his value, if I don't get what I think Julius Randle is worth, like you said, He's still an all-NBA player. He's shown that two of the past three seasons. You're not just trading that guy away just to trade him. So I am i don't want to say I'm in the middle, but I'm team trade Julius Randle if the package is right. I'm not just trading him for the scrap peep because that's how you set an organization back five years, honestly. I think I do agree. I just – I don't think fans understand. Like, they're also – Go trade Julius Randle. Go trade. But for what? Like this guy, all NBA talent is not just something that comes up on the road like this. Like this guy, yes, maybe he hasn't performed in the playoffs, but do I see him finishing out his contract? Probably fans are not going to be happy about that, but there has to be his mindset, his effort. These are all things that he can fix. This has nothing to do with talent. Julius Randle, I don't really know. I don't think they're going to move him. But uh, we're we're running out of time on episode one. But we're gonna um, what do you what's a free agency target that you guys, if you guys were the GM of uh, if you were Leon Rose, who do you guys want to go after this offseason? Yeah, I mean, so the the free agency thing is weird because of the cap situation that they're in. But you know, I threw out Seth Curry's name. I would really love a guy like a Gary Trent Jr. Um, would be somebody that I would be really interested in. You know, some they need more like true three and D players. Like if they're gonna somehow get under the get under the salary cap and go bid for free agents, which like 
they could do. It would take a lot of roster maneuvering, and I don't really know how likely it would be, but it's possible. You get rid of, you know, Fournier, maybe, you know, I, I think you would have to let Josh Hart walk in that circumstance. But there are certain moves you could make to free up some to free up some cap space. Like the three and D guys, the, the Gary Trent Juniors of the world, like that that's who like they would and should be targeting um if if they were to do something like that. I I, I really want a guy like Dante DiVincenzo, but and people don't seem to I just want shooting. Just get a shooter on here. Brandon, what about you? The villain of so the Knicks. I uh I mean That's I I, 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 <laughs> I I looked at some names. Uh Fred Fred Van Vliet would be a cool, but obviously once again cap situation goes into this. Uh Van Vliet, I feel like would be a cool target. Yes, your backcourt is extremely small in that regard, and you would definitely have to work to uh mitigate that. But him next to Brunson, I feel like it would be a fun combination. Depending on what you do with Randall, depending on how your roster is constructed. I know this may sound blasphemous, but maybe you go after Porzingis if you trade Randall and you need that shooting. Could fill that role. I, you're not uh, asking. Oh man, I, I mean, like, listen, it would be super fun. Like, I, I hold no grudges towards Kristaps Porzingis. He was it's a tough. kid. Yeah. He was a kid when he <laughs> requested the trade. It didn't work out for him in Dallas. I hold zero malice. It would be very fun. But he's had one season where he played sixty-five plus games. And, like, I just don't trust the health. And say what you want about Julius Randle. The guy plays night in, night out, never going to take a day off. Like, he, the only times he doesn't play is when he's seriously legitimate hurt, legitimately hurt. Yeah. And the best ability is availability. Like, and I would not be so gung-ho on replacing Julius Randle with a Kristaps Porzingis. Exactly. And then the other the other moves, like, maybe you, that's the Jalen Brown trade scenario, and you're adding – we're saying so you're mitigating that, but then again, how much better is your roster after that? Like ev- everything has the, the questions attached to it. I think Jordan Clarkson would be a fun off the bench type score where you're adding him to that unit. What's his price range though? That's one of the biggest questions. And I think a, like a Kyle Kuzma would be fun, but he also had a very good season. So is he out of your price range immediately? Like, like we said, it, it's it's all about those guys that can that can score. You want more of the scoring, more of the three point. But the next cap situation, you're probably going to lean more towards trade targets, unless you make a move where all of a sudden you're letting a guy walk that maybe the Knicks were expected to keep. But at the same time, now you're able to go after some of these free agents, and it's not really a great free agency class, all in all. Let me ask you guys this. Like, if, if something were to happen and the Lakers go in a different direction, like, what are the thoughts on Austin Reeves? I think that they're going to retain him. It seems like um, reports are saying there are going to be a couple teams. He already said also that he wants to stay. So I think, you know, he can get the max, I think, at 98.7 over four years. Don't think he gets that much. But um, I think he's going to go back to the Lakers. But Definitely something to keep in mind, but the Knicks need shooters. Julius Randle's probably here to stay. Jalen Brunson is Jalen Brunson, an upcoming superstar in the NBA for, in my opinion, at least, and you guys tend to agree with that. But um, we will be back for part two. Of Can the I just up- say one more thing before, before we, uh, yeah. So just really quickly, like I see all these like Knicks Twitter guys, like trashing Jalen Brown. Let's, 
let like to Brand's point, let's remember Jalen Brown is amazing. And if if the Celtics called and offered Jalen Brown for Julius Randle, I'm taking that in a heartbeat. This isn't even a discussion. However, I think if the Celtics, you know, don't pull off this comeback, which I, I think they might, and and like and the season doesn't pan out for them, I think their move this offseason is firing Joe Missoula and moving ahead with a with a with a new coach and a new coaching staff. And then a year from now, probably trading Jalen Brown if that doesn't work out. So I think we're we might be a year ahead. We might be jumping the gun by a year on Jalen Brown. But if the Celtics ever make that phone call, the Knicks would be stupid not to do it in a heartbeat. I can't. I can't imagine Brad Stevens and the Boston Celtics. Hey, yeah, we want Julius over here. Give you Jalen though. I don't really see that happening. But thank you guys for joining us for episode one. We will be back with part two of an offseason preview, more free agents, maybe some trade talk. But um, thank you guys, and we're gonna stop it here.